Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Virtual Reality, New Horizons in Flight Simulation. My name is Evan. I'm the co-founder of Flight Simulation Association and your host of today's live presentation. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're watching in the world. I know we've got people watching on YouTube, Facebook Live, and here with us on Flight Simulation Association. So it's a pleasure to have you all with us today. We're talking all about virtual reality. And as you may know, virtual reality is becoming bigger and bigger in the home flight simulation space. We did a survey with Navigraph back at the end of last year, 24,000 flight simmers responded, and of them, 15% are already using virtual reality. And that number has been going up every single year. So the question is, is it time for you to make that switch? And then we may have people on the webinar today who are experts in VR, but know nothing about flight sim. We may have people on the webinar today who are experts in flight sim, know nothing about VR and everything in between. So we'll do our best to give you a nice overview of what virtual reality is, how it works with our favorite flight simulation platforms and some tips and tricks for using VR and getting the most out of it. Before I hand things off to the panel though, we promise to give away and you can enter that giveaway right now at flightsimassociation.com slash contest. You can also use the QR code and scan that on the screen. We are giving away a Pimax crystal when that comes out here in the next little while and a Pimax Vision 8KX. So two lucky winners will get those delivered right to their homes and you can enter that contest over at flightsimassociation.com slash contest. If you missed the link, don't worry about it because we will most certainly be presenting that link to you again and again. Now, we're Flight Simulation Association. If you haven't heard of us, our mission is to help make it easier for people to get into home flight simulation. Whether you're a pilot and you want to use it for training, or you're an enthusiast and you just want to learn how to do it a little bit more seriously. We have flight simmers, we have industry developers, pilots, and everyone else part of our association. And one of the main things we do, in addition to webinars like this one and the free resources and guides on our website, is we organize this thing called Flight Sim Expo. Our next show is coming up on June 23rd to 25th over in Houston, and it is North America's biggest dedicated flight simulation conference for enthusiasts and pilots. You can come on out and join us by visiting flightsimexpo.com. You'll see presentations done kind of like this one, except we're actually in person on a stage. There's me back in Orlando in 2019. So yes, I do actually stand up and I have legs. There's more to me than just what you see right here. And in addition to that, we've also got a big exhibit hall where you can try out the latest in home flight simulation hardware, including, of course, VR headsets joysticks, flight controls, and a whole lot more. So you can find information on our show there at flightsimexpo.com and on the association at flightsimassociation.com. We'd love for you to join us, become a free member, and take advantage of all the website has to offer. And as we go ahead and get started, I'll be handing things over to the panel in just a moment. Friendly reminder to go on into that contest at flightsimassociation.com slash contest. I will be back with you to announce the winners and, of course, to answer all of your questions once we've done our first portion with the live presentation. I want to thank Sky Blue Radio for helping to cover this, along with Blue Games, who's streaming us live on YouTube. Hello to everyone there, to the Pimax YouTube channel, and of course to all of our FSA members. Make sure you say hello wherever you're watching in the chat, and I'll be back to chat right back to you in just a moment. And I'll thank you as well Pimax for helping us put this webinar on. This really was actually their idea for a collaboration, and what's really exciting to us is that they're actually here with us in the flight simulation community. We usually find that a lot of the big VR companies they're never at our shows. They're never engaging with us as flight simmers. So we're really fortunate to have the experts, the creators of VR, with us here today on today's live presentation. So with that in mind, I'm going to hand things over to Martin from Pimax, and he'll be joined by Wojciech from InFlight. 
Blue Games and Ben from Simier Plane to have a wonderful discussion on virtual reality. I'll be back in about 45 minutes with some prizes and to answer your questions. But for now, let me hand things over to Martin and the panel. So Martin, over to you. Thank you, Ivan. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's also an honor to be invited uh, by you and the Flight Simulation Association to this webinar. Now, first, I think let's do a quick round of introductions so the audience can get to know us, all of us, who we are, what we're working with, and also how we relate ourselves to flight simulation. So, Wojciech, would you mind starting, maybe? Hello. Yes. My name is Wojciech Kotulski. I'm from Poland. I am director of InFlight. At InFlight, we produce uh, aerobatic, aerobatic flight simulators. And also, I am an aerobatic pilot. Uh, I fly competitions. And uh, yes, I love VRs. We are starting to use them in our simulators. Wow, a real-life pilot. Wow, interesting. Thank you, Wojciech. Thank you. How about you, Ben? Yeah, so my name is Ben Myrick. I'm from South Carolina, USA. Uh, my company is Simier Plane. What we focus on primarily is custom hardware. That is a kit that you can take any aircraft and transform any aircraft into a simulator, uh, strictly VR-based. And then the other side of the business, the larger side of the business, really, is uh, custom hardware solutions as far as as well as custom software solutions for commercial partners that use X-Plane. So companies like Bridger Aerospace that do big water bombers or people that fly a helicopter with an aerial assault. So we do all the custom software and the coding and the plugin development for that. Wow, impressive. So we basically, we have two experts here, at least two experts. Uh, how about you, uh, Blue? What's going on, beautiful people? My name is Blue Games, uh, YouTube content creator on Twitch, Instagram, and on TikTok. I'm not an aerobatic pilot, but I have pulled a few Gs, about four on my phone. Uh, my internet, that's about it. But other than that, you know, uh, love aviation. Uh, I only have one actual real world hour and um, in flying an aircraft. So looking to become a pilot soon, but right now enjoying flight simulation and, you know, love flying in VR as well, which we're going to talk a lot more about later. So, yeah. Well, one hour of flight training is one hour more than I've ever done. So it's, it's, it's impressive either way. Thank you guys for the lovely presentations. Uh, well, meanwhile, what you see on the screen right now is a VR flight uh, performance made by Steve, also cal called VR Flights and Guy. Steve is a well-known VR content creator and YouTuber. Uh, actually, Steve was supposed to join us here tonight, but unfortunately, he couldn't, he couldn't make it. But at least he made a video for us here uh, demonstrating VR flight simulation. Uh, which we highly appreciate, of course. Now, VR Flight Sim Guy is a YouTube channel dedicated for VR flight, sim VR flight simulation, of course. And I would just recommend you personally, if you are into that kind of stuff, and if you want to learn everything about it, all the existing flight simulators, get hints and tips, how to optimize your setup for VR, all the plugins, and also some reviews of the latest and best VR headsets, please check out VR Flight Sim Guy on YouTube. There's tons of educational content out there. So maybe I should introduce myself as well. My name is Martin. I'm uh, based in Sweden. I have a computer science engineer background, and I I've been working with Pimax for almost four years now. So uh, yes, I am a VR enthusiast, and I'm a completely addicted VR flight sim enthusiast. Uh, now, I mentioned Pimax. 
some of you may not have uh, still recognized the, the name or the brand. Pimax is a VR company or a VR headset manufacturer and vendor. Um, what I really appreciate about Pimax and actually why I started to work for Pimax in the first place was because the company loves to innovate and push the VR technology forward. And that's, that's something I really appreciate. For reference, Pimax was the first brand offering a consumer-grade VR headset with an ultra-wide field view and a high-resolution 4K per eye uh, panel, or two of these, actually. That's a huge leap in VR technology. And believe it or not, yet today, there is nothing like that on the market for us consumers or VR enthusiast and flight sim enthusiast. So that's why, since I am a passionate tech geek, so to say, I, I would say working with Pimax is a blast for me, and especially seeing the development year after year, how VR evolves. So today I'm here with you, all of you here, and uh, I'm gonna share my thoughts about VR flight simulation, especially using high-end VR headsets, such as Pimax and other brands, of course. There are many other brands out there. I'll tell you how it works, how it feels, uh, what's the benefits of it, and what you can expect from VR technology as a whole, especially when you're moving from the traditional flight simulation on a PC monitor or, or a projector or something that you're using currently. Now, I'll also give you some tips and hints, my personal best tips uh, along the way, how you can improve the flight sim experience, and uh, together we will also discuss the topics about related problems or problems related to VR, such as motion sickness, nausea, and stuff like that, and how you can prevent that from happening, among other things, of course. Now, luckily, as you just saw, I have some great company here tonight with, with, uh, together with Ivan, Wojciech, Ben, and also Blue Games. And um, Blue Games, as I, as I said, as we already mentioned, is a content creator himself with a YouTube channel called Blue Games. And uh, so during the presentation here, we will, meanwhile, I'm presenting the stuff uh, on screen. We'll also discuss the topics together to make the discussion more interesting to you guys out there watching this. Now, uh, you may wonder, no, I'm not a pilot, as I said, and I would say my level level of experience in flight sims is not even close, probably not even close to the experience you have guys out there. Uh, especially you pilots and students. Uh, but I started my uh, I started exploring flight simulations already back in the times of Microsoft Flight Simulator 95 and 98. That's like 27 years ago or something. And I've always been fascinated about aviation. And then obviously about flight uh, simulation, which is the closest thing I will ever get to when it comes to flying an aircraft, right? Uh, so to me, the, the complexity of it, it's just mind-blowing. How it works, you know, VFR, IFR, ILS approaches and landings, all that stuff. It's so addictive to learn and to master all these things. And um, anyway, throughout the years that I've been flying with various flight simulators, I've seen the flight simulators, the, the, the applications themselves to evolve dramatically, not only graphically, but also in terms of complexity, the realism, the physics, airplane models, all of that. And uh, there's one thing, that's the, that's the problem. There's one thing that's always been missing to me. Uh, I always felt that, that, that those flight simulators, no matter how great they're looking, no matter how realistic they get, I've always been missing that feeling. And that feeling could be described as immersion. Now, I could bounce this question to, to, to my colleagues over here sitting next to me. What, 
Ben, how would you describe VR immersion? What was your first feeling when you tested flying and flight simulator in VR? Oh man, so I would say my first experience was a very um, a rather primitive setup, I would say, because this is back before Oculus was really a thing. Um, so the first experience I had was with a phone in this Google Cardboard box with this little magnet button thing on the side right. and just the ability to put it on and you could look left, look right, and you can like, oh, wow, like I turn my head, like I see something there. And so I'm amazed in where the technology has gone from this primitive, primitive little setup on a cardboard box in your phone to the immersion that we have, like from the, the Pimax, you know, you have 200 degrees, a field of view. So the immersion there is really the big thing that you cannot describe without trying. I've done, you know, talks with people before about VR and you, you can't explain it. We're all on this webinar on a 2D screen and people go, oh, cool, it's immersive. But once yeah. you put it on, then it just has a light bulb click moment and you go, oh, that's what they mean when they say it's immersive. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. How about you, Blue? How would you describe the difference between a PC monitor setup and a VR headset? I mean, it's seriously nothing like nothing like it. I mean, I've I've tried a head tracking stuff software. I've done just a 2D screen. I've tried using my mouse to look around and it really made a massive difference when it came to doing things like aerobatics or things like flying fighter jets in DCS world. Uh, I mean, obviously it makes a big difference in any environment, but when it comes to anything where you need to have, you know, situational awareness of what's going on, which is basically anytime you're in an aircraft, uh, it's makes a massive difference. And it, just being in it and being able to, like you said, look around, like, okay. And also yeah. it's just like, for me, the biggest thing for me when I got into VR was the depth perception is like, you can actually tell high, how high you are, like 2,000 right. feet, 4,000 feet actually feels like 4,000 feet, like your brain is being tricked, right? Like VR is tricking <laughs> your brain into thinking you're actually up here. You Even like if you're a kind of person who's scared of heights and you get in VR yeah. and you get up high, you're gonna like, you know, you're gonna shiver <laughs> a little bit, you'll get some cold sweats. Um, it's legit, like it, it really tricks your brain into thinking you are actually there. And when you get out of VR, you're like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in a plane for a long time or you're on a boat for a long time, you finally step on solid ground. Like, it's kind of how it feels when you get out of VR. So my experience has been amazing. My first experience was unforgettable. I think um, it was with, uh, with, with X-Plane, I believe, and being able to look around and see everything in the cockpit, everything one-to-one -one scale. And I'm like, wow, like, this is... I thought a says almost 72 was bigger than this, you know, <laughs> you know, because every like when you're on a 2D screen, everything looks massive. I'm not sure you ever noticed that, but like when you have this ma your whole cockpit set up on a 2D screen, you know, it's like 4K, you got these massive monitors. Then you, when you get into a real aircraft in real life, you're like, all right, it's like this, this small and, and VR yeah. kind of translates that as well. Yeah, I can totally relate to that, uh, especially the, the, the 3D depth perception, which also is one of the first topics we're going to touch in a moment here. But first, um, Wojciech, how would you describe your first experience in VR? And I he also heard that you would never go back to monitor uh, flight simulation. <laughs> My approach was a little bit different because I was not uh, testing, uh, let's say, screens or different uh, headsets. I was just looking for the solution to find some way to train the aerobatics. And uh, when I started the competition flying, I noticed that I have to train more and more and more. 
And then I found out that um, I have to, or I want to prepare some simulation, some simulator for the trainings. And then I realized that the only way that I can see what I see in the real plane is to use the VRs. The screens was not an option because aerobatic pilots, we, we look all around. We very rarely look ahead. We just look on the wing or above. We observe the, um, the, the plane and the horizon. So our head is moving all time. And there was no question that we need a solution so we can make the visualization like in the real plane. And only VR headsets can give us uh, this. And of course, uh, I started to test different uh, headsets and then I found out that uh, with all of them, there is a problem because all of them, they are around 100 degrees field of view. So right. for, for aerobatics, it's not also good. So then I found out the Pimax, which is almost, or it is wide as the natural view with the peripheral um, vision. And that was it. Uh, so uh, yes, it was question of how to do it. And the solution came with Pimax. Yeah, well, I, I, can, I think we can all agree that total immersion is one of those unique things that virtual reality offers. Now, uh, shortly, I can just tell you that my first headset was an HTC Vive back in 2016, and I purchased this, and I, I just loved it. You know, despite all the flaws, the limitations, the, the low resolution, the narrow field of view, the lack of clarity also, which was like terrible if you look back into it. But back then, it was amazing still. Now, then... A lot of things has happened to the VR technology ever since then, especially the past four years. And now today, 2020, uh, 2022, sorry, uh, I, can, I can personally assure you that VR has completely changed flight simulation. That, that's something I can stand, stand behind. And that's also all thanks to, in my opinion, six specific reasons or factors, which I'm uh, listing on the first page of the presentation here, of how VR changed flame simulation. And those uh, topics we're gonna discuss a little bit more in depth are uh, the 3D depth perception, of course, or the 3D stereoscopic view, the wider field of view, which now is, of course, available thanks to Pimax mainly. And then also we have the high resolution. I mean, the resolutions has been massively increasing with the, with the headsets just in, in a matter of a few years. Then the immersion factor, we, we can go deeper into that part as well. The interaction, the, all, the, all the ways you can interact in VR, which is just amazing compared to the, the traditional way of doing flight simulation. And also the educational part, how great of an educational utility this could be or is already in many, in, in many corporations and even in military grade defense departments and such for pilots, for training and such, stuff like that. So uh, the first thing is the 3D depth perception. Now uh, that's made by the 3D stereoscopic view. So there are two images rendered uh, and they're different images which, which are aligned to the vision of your eye, whatever that's, yeah, that's my simple explanation of it. So you basically see a 3D depth just like in real life. Although I would say that the 3D depth perception is even more enhanced than it is in real life because you really can tell the difference between uh, like you and the cockpit and all what's happening outside of the cockpit and so on. So as you said, um, Blue, uh, the sensation of height and altitude is just, I think it's one of the most 
impactful or one of the things that, that has the most impact to people going over to VR headsets that, that you can actually see the height of how, how high you're flying, especially when you're doing low altitude flights. Uh, it just gives you that real world scale, that the feeling of that you're sitting in that cockpit instead of looking at a cockpit on, on a screen. Uh, also, there are a lot of things such as uh, easier way to estimate distances thanks to the 3D depth perception. Now, uh, I've always had this problem. I don't know about you, Gert, but I always had this problem, for instance, doing ILS, I mean, VFR approaches and landings uh, on the monitor. I, I never really could estimate the, the distance between my plane and the, and the landing strip. And I think that completely changed with VR. I, I, I would say I'm not an expert in, in flight simulation in any way. I am an enthusiast, but I'm not an expert. I would say it's so much easier to just perform a landing, even with a Boeing 767 or whatever, just because of the way you're seeing the world around you and the depth, the, the, the distance um, estimations and all that. So 3D depth perception is basically the natural feeling, feeling of being there in that surrounding, being surrounded and um, uh, just more of a natural way of looking at things, just like we do in real life. Um, now also, um, there is uh, one more thing and that was, or maybe we just skip that. Well, let's just, just go over to the next topic. Uh, I, I don't know, guys, do, do you want to fill in something else about the 3D perception or the stereoscopic view? Wojciech, uh, maybe? I would, yeah, I would say, where, well, uh, where you're landing the aerobatic aircraft, you don't uh, look ahead. You just have to look a little bit side. And uh, I cannot imagine how to do the landing with the simulation with the PC screen, <laughs> uh, because yeah. you have to have this uh, depth of feeling. So the VR headsets, uh, yes, this is the right tool to, to have this feeling, how far from the ground you are. And, uh, and because, uh, well, if you would look just ahead, you don't see anything. So um, it, is, it, is, it is critical. Uh, right. So from my point of view, this, uh, what you mentioned, the depth of, uh, of view is, 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 is one of the critical issues that allows pilots to fly correctly and uh, closer to the reality. Yeah, and even for beginners, I would say, I mean, Blue, you touched that topic. It was so funny you actually mentioned that about the cockpit size of the Cessna 172. I had exactly the same feeling. I never thought that the, the cockpit of the Cessna was so narrow and small and tiny. You know, it's just like claustrophobic almost in VR <laughs> compared to what you think it is when you see it on pictures on, on, on video. That was just amazing uh, ex example of how 3D perception does that. I was uh, thinking too, as well as, I mean, I'm not sure how many people do formation flying in, in their various simulators, but having that 3D depth perception actually helps with that as well. It's the same with air to air feeling if you're just trying to, because it's just, it's a feeling, you know, you don't have to squint your eyes at a 2D screen, like, all right, am I getting closer? Am I getting closer? Like that sense, that closing distance that you get to another object, whether it be, you know, again, like you said, like landing, you know, it's that closing distance, you can actually sense that in VR yeah. because of that 3D depth perception. Sure, sure. I totally agree. Now, uh, let, let's jump Wojciech, into the next... You... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, so I was going to say, so Wojciech, I think you touched on it with flying a aerobatic airplane. You know, they have a glide ratio of a brick, you know, throw the brick out the window, that's where your glide ratio is. You know, you need to look here and there's where you're going to come in. 
and you just can't do that effectively with a hat switch. You know, most people have a hat switch that they have a quick glance or a quick view, but the glance is 45 degrees and you really need a 10 degrees and the next time you need a 50 degrees. So you just yeah. don't have that. And then the depth reception yeah. also is, doesn't matter so much for me, the forward view, because yeah, you don't get that with the 2D screen, but it's also your surroundings. You're coming into land yeah. and say you're coming in a 45 to a downwind. And I want to then judge my altitude. So I'm looking at my window. I know my rough altitude I need to be. I'm, I'm looking for my traffic on my, my crosswind. I'm looking for my traffic, you know, everywhere in the pattern. So it's more so the surrounding environments that's going to give me my depth perception than more so just is it close, getting closer or getting further away. I'm, I'm using my surrounding environments to give my depth perception as well. Right. That a 2D screen doesn't just offer you. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. I apologize for the slides here. I, I, I happened to jump into the next topic before we, we were even finished. So I was already at the wide field of it because I think it's so exciting topic, <laughs> the next one. So so yes, uh, let's move on to, to the field of view. Now, as I said earlier, I started with, with the headset, which had roughly like 90 or 100 degrees field of view. And I always felt like there was a tunnel vision, uh, what I experienced. Um, it felt a little bit claustrophobic in the beginning, beginning. Of course, you get used to that. But what I was lacking the most was the real presence or the real feeling of actually being there. When, when you have those blinders on, on, on the side, what, what do you think, guys? How, how would you have, have you have all of you? For, first of all, have all of you tested wide field of view VR so far? I have not. So I'll jump in here and say, from a commercial application, the wide field of view for one of my customers was an absolute requirement. Um, so we had a customer that is flying a Hughes 500 helicopter and the helicopter has an aerial saw underneath. So you can imagine a hundred foot below the helicopter, there's 10 saw blades. So whoever's seen James Bond, when the James Bond car gets cut in half, it's basically one of those. Yeah. And what happens is, the pilot is hanging out of the door and staring at the ground, watching the saw blades cut. What happens, however, is they can't lean back into the aircraft, look at the gauges, make sure the engine gauges are fine and lean back out. You, you can't be jumping back and forth. So the company actually has remote door gauges. So there's two remote door gauges, one for the engine torque and one for the ITT that are mounted right inside the door frame. And so what happens in, in the simulator, they wanted to have those gauges there. And so what we did is we modeled those gauges at the door. Well, yeah. staring at the ground, if you have a really narrow field of view VR goggle, you can't just glance to your left or glance to your right and see those door gauges. Because again, you're in a VR goggle like this. And so that glance ability, you're looking at that screen door or you're looking at that edge. And so having a wide field of view from that application is it adds the immersion and it basically gives you the realistic immersion because the real aircraft, you're hanging out the door, flying the helicopter, and you're just glancing just quickly in the corner of your eye to look at the gauges before glancing back. You're not having to move your head. And again, that's a really niche you know, application. But again, that little bit of immersion that you're moving when in the real airplane, you're not going to be moving is a break of immersion. So if you can just glance the same way you would do in the real thing, that immersion just becomes all that more realistic because that's exactly the type of motion you're going to do in the real thing. 
Indeed, indeed. And Wojciech, you, you are using the wide field view quite a lot. I mean, in your types of flying, explain more about that. I, I, I know yeah. we've discussed that before. I want to hear it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, for a robotic pilot, like I described before, it's very critical to look around. When we do the maneuvers like uh, hesitation rolls, for instance, we do the, uh, the, the, the lineup and the hesitation roll. We always observe the ground and the, we look on the tail to see the position uh, with the ground objects. And uh, when I tried several VR headsets, which had a field of view around 100 degrees, uh, I was missing it. And it is one of the critical things. I have to have this peripheral uh, view. So the same when I do the level flight and I do the, roll, the, the, the barrels and I do also the hesitation rolls. I have to see the the the, the horizon, so the, the wide field of view is very critical. Uh, the normal VR headsets it, it reminds me of a situation when I pull G's, when I do the aerobatic uh, flight and I pull G's, I start to see have the tunnel vision. Uh, so the normal headsets uh, it would be like I would fly all time high G's. I love high G's, but uh, not all time it would be boring <laughs> <laughs> so for me the option is the natural option is only to to have this wide field of view and um, and for aerobatic flying this is this is very critical yeah yeah i can imagine i can imagine you know a lot of people are just taking the wide peripheral uh, peripheral vision for granted i would say because it, it, there's so much more into it then that it just it doesn't just like you know fill out your view but it also adds a lot into your senses like the increase of sense of speed i would say a wider field of view adds so much more to the sense of speed at least in my opinion when i'm flying when i'm doing some racing simulators or even like normal games you know running around in vr it just feels like i'm so faster more like realistically faster uh with a wide field of view because you know, everything moves. That, that's the natural way of when you're driving a car, for instance, you, you see the stuff just fly by, you know, the trees and the roads and all the other cars and stuff. That's something you miss with, with, with a narrow field of view. And that specifically, one, I think it's one of the big advantages of wide field of view to actually get that sense of speed while flying or racing or, or stuff like that. Um, so... I think again, we we I think we all agree that it gives a more immersive experience uh, overall with that wide field of view. It's not a must. I'm not saying it's a must, of course, but I, one thing's for sure. After all the events I've done, all these CES exhibitions and all the stuff around the world, I know for one thing that people who've tried VR or maybe purchased a Pimax headset, a wide field of view headset, they tend to never go back to the to to the narrow field of view, which is which tells quite a lot, I would say. <laughs> I believe so, that for sure. <laughs> I was looking at the video right now, like, man, <laughs> that's pretty freaking nice. I mean, I didn't really say my piece here about the FOV because I haven't tried the wide um, FOV yet, um, but in the headsets that I've had in the past, the best way yeah. I can compare it or, or I can explain it is like wearing one of those like racing helmets where it like yeah. blocks your vision right here. You can only right. really see like this much. That's kind of what it feels like in, in my... Uh, my VR headset now, not the Pimax, but the one that I have. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I'm like, I can see how big of a difference I can make when it comes to, you know, sense of speed, just like you said, 
or even, mm-hmm. you know, as I said earlier, you know, situational awareness, being able to kind of be able to, to glance left, glance left, glance left or right without having to move your head as much, you know what yeah. I mean? So I think that'd be great. Yeah, I would say, I mean, the wide field of view, to project a wide field of view and a VR headset, it's quite an advanced and sophisticated technology. And it's not only Pimax doing these things. There are other brands like Extal as such, but uh, these uh, companies are doing that for, you know, corporate use, for big, uh, for military use and stuff like that. Those simulators cost like $8,000 or even more. And, and I, I'm a little bit personally, and I'm not talking as a Pimax employee here, but just personally, I'm just surprised that we haven't seen more wide field of view headsets on the market yet. I think it's, I think it's a good time to, to actually adapt that to, so it becomes like a mainstream thing, at least within VR. There's just so many benefits into it. But there's also a, a difficulty, as I said, it's, it's not easy to, to, to make those you know the, the view is so wide and one of the main reasons is the high resolution i mean the wider field of view you have the more the higher resolution is preferred because you have to spread those pixels i mean the amount of pixels around the entire area you you're looking at um so today as of today high resolution is now more important than ever i would say especially in the flight simulation. If you're running a game on a, uh, on a game, a flight simulator on a monitor, whether you're running it in 1440p or 4K, it might add some more sharpness, but it would, but it's not going to be a day and night, night and day difference. In VR, on the other hand, as soon as you go with a high resolution, all of a sudden you see the gauges, you see the panels, the checklist, you can read stuff without, you know, leaning forward and trying to, you know, trying hard to see what, you know, what altitude you're at even, you know, stuff like that. It, the resolution is pretty important these days on, on the on the VR headsets. And I think in a couple of years from now, we're going to see some massive increase in, in the resolutions already very soon also <laughs> coming from Pimax. Uh, already think- at this, yeah. No, I was gonna say I think I'm a perfect example. <laughs> I think this is probably why you guys have me here. I bet, right? Because I'm the one who doesn't have the Pimax. I'm the one that doesn't have the Pimax. That's uh, <laughs> one of my biggest, one of my biggest complaints personally when it comes to VR, and I've, I've even told my community this is that is this exact issue: the resolution, um, especially when it comes to flights to me, especially when it comes to IFR flights to me. I mean, yeah, you can yeah. go out there and you can fly around and look at some beautiful trees and clouds, and it looks great, and pretty much any headset. Um, but when it comes down, you got to want to actually fly a flight plan and, and look at gauges and things like that. Uh, a lot of the headsets that are out there is, is a struggle because you can't read anything. All the small text is just too hard to see. You got to look, yeah. you know, you got to move, move real close to see it, or sometimes it's just impossible, honestly. Uh, to say yeah. Some simulators have a way to like zoom in with your controller and look closer to things, but that's, you know, it, it doesn't work. And so, again, this is one of my biggest issues with my current headset. And to see that you guys are, are working in this area is, is, a, is a great thing. Yeah, I think, I mean, personally, yeah. I think that this, the step was just massive going for 4K per eye from, from, the, from the previous headsets. Now, and uh, I think this is just going to evolve through, through time. Ben, sorry, I interrupted you, I think. No, it's fine. No, I was going to say it's, it's interesting because you're, you segued, I think, really perfectly from the field of view and then to the resolution because I think right now, what I've noticed in the industry, there is really kind of a split. Either you know you get really high field of view, but your resolution is eh, okay, um, 
or, you know, I, I, would, I shouldn't say, okay, it's, it's good, but it's not, you know, that picture perfect, you know, human eye clarity. And there's, yeah. and for me, if I can, you know, have my cake and eat it too, I would mix those two. I would have my, you know, human eye clarity headset with, you know, human eye clarity resolution combined with the field of view. And right now, both of those are paralleling essentially in the VR headset world. And eventually they're going to meet. It's just a matter of time. You know, every technology we have in VR, you know, some VR headsets when we first got, they weren't um, standalone head tracking. So you had to have an external tracker. Now we have internal cameras that do it. So the same thing, we're kind of mixing all these paths. And so that field of view and resolution is converging and it's just a matter of time. One yeah. thing that I think I've seen that is kind of essentially uh, made people happy enough for now is that the industry that focuses on extremely high clarity, they say, well, we're just going to focus and make it perfect for human eye resolution, realizing that we're going to look to it like this. Yeah. Or we're going to say, we're going to make it really, really wide and it's going to be maybe not perfect human eye clarity, but it's going to be really, really wide. And so both of those have that niche market and both of those have the market that is a big market. So both of those headset um, styles are out there. And my hope is that they converge because I've seen, you know, in the, my industry that I'm working in, I've had people that use the Pimax, you know, with the wide field of view and they say, oh man, I love that. You know, this is perfect for me. And then we give them, you know, the Vario XR3, you know, and they go, eh, I don't like this as much. Like, I really like that one. And then the next guy, he does the exact opposite. He says, oh man, I love the Vario. And I don't like that Pimax. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and so each person has their own little unique, you know, likes and sure. wants. But I really feel like when both of those paths meet, when the field of view and the human eye clarity meet, then we're really working towards, you know, the ultimate headset. Yeah, I think I think it's a matter of personal taste, actually. You know, for me, I mean, personally, I, I like the eight kicks because it's a good mix between a, a good balance between uh, a wide field of view and a high resolution. Even though it's, yeah. it might not be industry leading resolution, but still, it gives you a, a little bit of both. So it's still a high resolution, yeah. so to say, not the highest, but it still offers that resolution across the entire 170 degrees of uh, field of view. But yeah, yeah. I mean, and of it's a headset. We... Go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. I, mean, I was just about to squeeze in that. That's why we're working on different models now, right now, for the next generation, which will kind of try to. One of them will be more like traditional field of view, which is the crystal, and the next one will be the 12K, which is an even wider field of view uh, that offers 6K per eye, which will be dramatically will increase the, the resolution compared to the uh, Pimax 8KX, for instance. So yeah, go on yeah. then. No, and I was gonna say what happens is you also get, you know, um, I'm glad there are, you know, for example, the Pimax, it's a, it's a headset that you can install and run on a computer that you can, you know, commercially build and manufacture. A lot of times you go to, you know, something like the Vario where it's, it's got great clarity and it has these great lenses, but the problem is you have to have a supercomputer to run it. And so even though it has that type technology, it, yeah. do you have the computing power to be able to generate that technology? You yeah. know, I've seen people in my industry where they say, wow, this HP reverb looks like I'm, you know, looking through Microsoft Flight Simulator 95. And it's like, well, what kind of <laughs> computer are you on? 
well, <laughs> there's your problem. There's your bottleneck. Yeah. You know, don't blame the headset because of your computer. And so that balance from 4K <laughs> also comes down to what you can actually compute. Yeah. And apart from the resolution itself, also the lenses plays a big role here. I mean, a good lens, uh, an optimal lens is going to give you a bigger sweet spot area, which is the sharp part of the viewable image, uh, the center part, which is fully sharp. And also a good lens also improves uh, or eliminates a lot of the problems such as uh, chromatic aberration or CA distortions, you know, flare, uh, not flare, glare, it's called and stuff like that, reflections. So it's, a, it, it's about finding a nice, a good balance in between all these things. Um, that's what, I, I guess that's what Pimax is trying. And uh, yeah, I, I hope you're going to be excited about the next generation as well, which is coming like any day now, <laughs> by the ways. So guys, uh, let's jump into the fourth uh, topic uh, really quickly here, because we already have uh, discussed the immersive part um, we already mentioned about the cool thing with, with, with the 3D depth perception, the three, 360 degree freedom, the natural awareness and all of that stuff. And it makes the entire interaction closer to real life. So I would say that's a really important factor. But there's also two more. And one of them is interaction. I don't know how many of you, have you tried hand tracking with, uh, with, uh, in VR some, at some point? Blue, have you tried yeah, that? I have never tried hand track. I've used the actual, you know, the things. I've never tried it. I didn't, I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't know much about that. Is that a, that's a thing? <laughs> it's becoming a thing, actually. It's, it's coming, the support is growing more and more in all of those simulators. Are you saying I can uh, just, like, use my hands and just pretend, like, in my imagination that I'm touching things and my right. computer's like, yeah, all right, you're pulling the joystick back. Yeah. Is that how it works? Yeah. We, yes. Yes. Absolutely. You can pull. Yeah, you can pull the yoke. You can push buttons. You can. I mean, I mean, turn the all the knobs and stuff like that. So you can fully interact with your uh, cockpit with your fingers and hands. Now it's, oh. it's there's no like how to, so to say like the support is limited. It depends on which simulator you're running. Uh, but in some simulators like the uh, uh, which one was that again? The, not the Airfly FS2, but the, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come inside. to that later. Flying side, right. That has a native uh, hand tracking uh, support with leap motion. And that also supports our, the Pimax hand tracking modules. So you can basically do anything, everything in the cockpit with your fingers and hands, which is just really cool. Wow. Uh, now, um, the interaction, the level of interaction is quite broad in VR. You can, of course, use your VR mouse or, or the mouse, but in VR, you can use the, your controllers, such as the Valve Index controllers, and then you're pointing, you can you know, pull the knobs and the triggers and all the buttons and stuff with it. So it's going to act like hands in VR. And that you can actually do. I think you could do that in all of these simulators out there right now, including Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, DCS or Digital Combat Simulator and the other ones. We, we're going to go through some, some of the, the simulators later. But I know that some people are against that type of interaction. So, of course, if you want to do VR flight simulation, you can, of course, use your yoke, joystick, gamepad, rudders, whatever you prefer, and still you get the same level of immersion as before I and mean, when it comes to interaction. And that, that's what I, that's, I think that's a big plus with VR, there's so many ways of interacting. 
What what do you prefer? Are you, are you mostly using the uh, yoke? Have, have is anyone of you actually flying with the controllers in VR, or do you, do you prefer to use a yo joystick or yoke? Uh, I use. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I don't know. <laughs> you decide. Uh, sorry. With our simulator, uh, it's very important to give the to a robotic pilots the feeling. So uh, we do our own control. All we do our by our own uh, the controllers where the pilots have exactly the same feeling as they have in the real plane. Yeah. Uh, this is a very critical for the muscle memory. So they have the geometry of the aerobatic plane, plus they have the forces that uh, can be linear or unlinear, and they depend on the speed. So we are simulating the forces that the pilots have in different kinds of aerobatic planes, because uh, in some planes, they, it, it's solved differently. So definitely for aerobatic users, uh, they have to have the controllers to train this muscle memory. And, uh, and, and this is what we are providing uh, with in-flight. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Blue, you wanted to say something as well. I no, I, I was just going to say that I mainly use uh, joysticks and, and yokes here in my, in, my, in my office to play flight sims. Um, but only time I really use like a VR controller uh, yeah. are in, you know, games that like support or like kind of like that's kind of like the way it was built to be used. You know what I mean? Sure, um, with sure. Flight Sim, to me, it just doesn't feel right to use a controller yeah. to try to control you because there is no feeling. You know what I mean? Just like you said, yeah. having that muscle memory. Now, I, I know that my hardware that I have here is not exactly how the real plane is, but at least, you know, it's a similar size and whatnot. And so just for me, that's just not the way that I... I run my flight sims, um, but yeah. I do enjoy using the controller on games that, you know, it makes sense to play them on. Sure. The last topic or the last aspect of the six ones uh, uh, we've gone Mark. through is, do you, yeah. Do you mind if I jump in just real quick? Sure, sure. Sure, Evan. Yeah. So, um, Blue, I think you mentioned it, it's not the, um, and then I said the natural way to control, you know, the control. Um, it's very interesting that you bring that up. Um, so for, uh, I don't even want to count how many months now, because um, it's just disappointing. Um, I've been working through trying to figure out how to certify VR for FAA certification. Um, because FAA certification, just on a very, very simple system, where we're talking about a BATD, which is a basic aviation training device. This is a glorified keyboard, uh, sorry, it's a glorified um monitor uh, and then just some basic radio switches uh, and then a yoke um, pedals and a, and a throttle quadrant very very basic and you have the tactile feel of turning a knob um on the radio and yeah. in vr you don't get that but then unless you have this full built system how do you turn that tactile knob and then it's okay how do you see that knob because you you're blinded well you can overcome some of that by using you know, a mixed reality portal. Um, I've sure. done a lot of mixed reality portal stuff and that's great. Yeah. It allows you that open immersion of seeing that knob, but then I have to model every single one of those switches and I have to draw every single one of those switches. Sure. Um, why can't I just take the hand controller and just turn it with a hand controller? And yeah. so it's interesting that you mentioned that because yeah, there is that little bit of tactile feel and, you know, from a certification, like you do need to turn that knob and that knob has to be there and at least from the conversations I've had from the certification process, it has to be a physical knob. Um, so I've been yeah. told over and over again that 
the knob that they talk about on their guide to get approval has to be physical. It doesn't say physical. I'll mind you. It doesn't say physical. Um, I've gotten to see some heated, um, heated debates and some good debates um, to push the envelope. But those knobs need to be physical. And so, yeah, the interaction on a flight simulator sometimes is a little bit of a challenge because you don't truly get that immersion feel. And for me, it's almost a break of immersion because all of a mm -hmm. sudden I have to, in the use case of, say, an aerobatic airplane, I have to, you know, take my hands off the controls, pick up this hand controller, tune a knob, and then put it yeah. down and then go back on the controls. So, yeah, I break that immersion. I can imagine, so, yeah. <laughs> All that being said, I will say um, I've had so much fun. And I'll be honest with you, um, I go through these ups and downs and enjoyment of sim because sometimes it's all work. And then I realize, oh, I just want to go enjoy something and fly something I enjoy. Um, <laughs> I've had a, so much enjoyment in an app that you can download um, just from the app store. It's called Simple Plane. And it's a um, headset only app. Um, I have it on my Oculus Quest, and it's hand controls only. And so I can mm -hmm. sit on my couch and fly with my hand controls. And it's just this fun, mm -hmm. simple thing. And so yeah. you get both ends of it. You get that, oh, I need a tactile button. I can't see it. Okay, mixed yeah. reality, but that's a lot of expense. But then on the other side of it, you can, you, you can have a really enjoyable time using sure. just the hand controllers. Sure. And then sure. to add to that the hand tracking, oh man, the technology there is getting better by the day. You know, the ability to, instead of having to have a hand controller there, I can use my hand instead of it. The yeah. challenge that I've seen in the industry is it's really dependent, not so much on the headset manufacturers. I think the headset manufacturers across the board has done an amazing job of bringing it to the table, but then it's up to a laminar research, it's up to an Aerofly, it's up to a DCS, it's up to a Prepare, it's up to Microsoft, it's up to those people to actually make it work. Yeah. And there's where I've been kind of disappointed in the industry of like, hey, these headset guys are giving you hands, you know, let's do something with it. And I think once we kind of break that barrier of being able to use the hands instead of the hand controllers I itself, I think it'll be really good. Yeah, I think that's about to change slowly now. I mean, especially now when uh, when people starting to realize how much impact VR makes for the flight simulation in general, and uh, how much it can be used in educational use, which which is uh, the last topic of of this chapter. Uh, I mean, I think the the flight uh, simulator developers will prioritize VR a bit more than they have done so far. VR has just been a niche, 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 a niche thing uh, until now, but I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the mainstream thing in a couple of years from now. So I, I have no doubts it's going to really improve over time. Now, I know we're running out of time a little bit, so we have to be, get a little bit faster with, with the topics here. The sixth and last one was the educational part. I don't know, uh, Wojciech, maybe you want to add something because you're doing a lot of training when it comes to educational uh, flights uh, with your aerobic flight yeah. Uh, maneuvers yeah. yeah yeah well uh the idea of of, of in flight the um, simulator for aerobatic flying is a uh, use it for trainings for yeah. pilots on the different level from the beginners where people can train the just the simple maneuvers uh, yeah. up to very complex sequences where the pilots on advanced or unlimited level they can train the position in the box uh, they can train 
um, the, the the sequences. Uh, so uh, yes, I also experienced because a um, couple of weeks ago we did a presentation of our in-flight simulator, and there were people representing different levels, and also there were people that uh, they first uh, they had the first approach to aerobatics. So uh, very quickly, I was able to teach them the basic maneuvers. They were very enthusiastic, and mm -hmm. it's it's very uh, mm, it, it has a great benefits because at these times the flight costs are very high the availability of the planes like aerobatic planes is uh, limited uh, we, you have to have a good weather uh, you have to uh, you have to have time the preparation for aerobatic flights takes take, uh, flights takes uh, a lot of time and more uh, as aerobatic pilots when we do the trainings we fly twice per day it makes it makes sense because uh, there is so huge stress to the body with the high G's, with the uh, mental preparation that uh, one flight takes, for instance, 15 minutes and per day we are doing only two flights. Uh, right. It means that the training with the aerobatic planes is very limited. Yeah. With the simulation, we can train some maneuvers, we can train sequences for hours, we can make them perfect. Mm -hmm. And this will be a huge, huge benefit to uh, benefit to, 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 to the pilots on all levels because uh, um, pilots will be able to train much, much more than they uh, could do it in the real plane. Yeah. And this is because the technology is uh, here. We can use the VR headsets, we can use the fast computers. Right now, um, we deliver also the the hardware, the hardware, the the the, the platform of the simulator. So yes, it will be a game changer in the in the aerobatics. Yeah, it it already is a game changer, I think, and the technology is here. And also, if we take it to the to the next topic here, the support is growing more and more when it comes to flight simulators. The VR support. Uh, currently, basically every single flight simulator has native VR support at this moment. Uh, by native, I mean it works out of the box. Basically, it's built-in support uh, through special APIs. So there are no hacks, really, no workarounds or some kind of fake 3D stuff like we, we saw a couple of years ago. Um, and um, I think it's amazing that we can actually fly all those simulators in VR today. Now, we're moving to this new topic here, and I want to go quickly uh, through these pages. Uh, I don't want to go too detailed into the technical part of it, but all of these simulators are using an API, uh, application programmable interface. And uh, you can either run these games through SteamVR or, or OpenXR and, and so on. But there is one application, if you're flying like Microsoft Flight Simulator or Digital Combat Simulator, uh, explain 11 or 12, I don't know if the Explain 12 actually has support for it yet, but the OpenXR the toolkit, it does. Okay, I think it's uh, VR support. Yes, they have full VR support on 12. Oh yeah, it has VR support, but the OpenXR toolkit, it's such a nice toolkit with enha which enhances the the uh, the resolutions. It can add a lot of things into the simulator, uh, improve the performance and stuff like that. It can add sharpening, foveated rendering. It has eye tracking support already. You can add post-processing, so you get some better colors and hue. You know, you can change that, customize that for your needs. 
And there's also hand tracking support within that, which I haven't tested yet, but, but it sounds really promising. So OpenXR Toolkit is really something to deep dive into uh, once you once any one of you out there watching this, if you're going, if you're starting up with VR flight simulators. Now, uh, I know we're uh, even, I know we're, we're short of time now, so I'm just gonna go a little bit fast through uh, some of the things about VR, which might be a little bit problematic for some people. And, uh, but there are some solutions and stuff for this. Now, there are three things. One of them is the PC system requirements, which are rather high. Then we have some visual limitations, which we, especially VR vendors, are fighting by improving the panels, the technology itself, and so on. But also there is something called motion sickness and nausea, which we're gonna touch the last thing we do. But first, system requirements. Now, this is a deep topic. We're gonna not go too deep into this, but all I can say is that if you have any experience with VR flight simulators, you probably know already that it takes some computer power, some more computer power that you're used to if you're running a flight simulator uh, on a VR headset. That is mainly because you're rendering the image to two panels and they're two different images, not just like a mirror of the cell. It's, they're two different perspectives. So, so, so you can output that 3D uh, depth uh, stereoscopic view. And uh, what you see here on the screen right now in the presentation is just my estimations, my personal estimation of what I would say is the minimum and the recommended uh, graphic card uh, processor and the RAM memory and stuff to run the, the flight simulators in general, just I'm not seeing a specific flight simulator because that varies as well. The performance can vary quite a lot in between the simulators, but at least if you, if you have something on the, on the third or 3000 generation of Nvidia graphic card, you should be pretty fine at like a 3080, 3090, or preferably a 49, uh, 4090, even the latest generation. Um, and I think that a lot of people get scared by this. Now they see the specifications, for instance, here, the Pimax 8KX specifications is dual 4K panels. And they're thinking like, oh my God, I'm playing this game uh, sorry, simulator on a monitor uh, in 4K and I get like 80 frames per second 